Matthew 27, verse 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company sorry, and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him. They took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off his robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life, 
They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Let me pray as we consider Matthew 27 this morning. Now, Father God, we thank you that in your providence and in your sovereignty, you have preserved this account of Jesus' death for us. We thank you that by it we can see his sacrifice for us in our place. Help us now to appreciate it as we consider it again this morning. For those of us for whom it is familiar, don't let us rest in its familiarity. Grip us once again with the love and grace of the Lord Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Now, I don't know how many of you are news watchers or news readers or news viewers of some kind. Do you, do you keep up with world news? I, I do, and I don't know if I should, because there's lots of news that is important. There's lots of news that is significant. There's news that is worth knowing. There's news that I think is even helpful as a Christian to know. It's, it's helpful for me in that it helps me think through how to live as a Christian in this world at times. Reading the news does help me to think and to inform my prayers at times. There's news that is important and significant. There's news that's just kind of interesting. I read an interesting article on news.com this week about this lady who went into a cafe and helped them when she didn't work there. Sorry, Janet. Some news is just interesting, but then there is a lot of news, a lot of things that I find myself reading that is just mind-numbingly stupid. One of the, the difficulties of reading the news is actually trying to determine whether something that you're reading is significant, whether it's important, whether it's worth knowing. I remember back in early 2020, and I, I'd started seeing articles pop up about this virus in China, and I remember thinking to myself, that's not important, that'll blow over in a few weeks, no one will remember that, oh, I wish I was right, but how wrong I was. This thing that I kind of thought was insignificant turned out to be, well, fairly significant. But of course, there are events in our lives that instantly are recognisable for their significance. For my generation, it has to be September 11. Now, I can still remember where I was as a 13-year-old when my brother busted into my room, woke me up to tell me of what had happened. If you were alive in 2001, I'm sure you can remember where you were when you first heard this news story. And as we watched that rolling coverage, as we saw the planes crash again and again, we saw the reactions of people that were there. And people reacted in all sorts of different ways, didn't they? There were, there were some people who just ran around screaming. They were hysterical, understandably so. We saw other people just kneeling and praying. 
We saw people who were desperately trying to help in whatever way they could. And we saw others just sit there and stare, numbed. Everyone responded differently, but absolutely everyone knew that the events that they had just seen were events that would change the world. It was an event of the greatest significance. Well, friends, today we come to consider a similar kind of event. Just like September 11, it is a horrific event, a gruesome event, an event which depicts humanity at its absolute worst. Because today we come to commemorate, we come even to celebrate the execution of Jesus of Nazareth some 2,000 years ago. But for Matthew, the man who wrote the account of Jesus' life that we just read, the thing that he wants you to notice this morning is that Jesus' death was an event of the greatest significance. And as we take a look at this story today, we're going to see that the crucifixion of Jesus is one, an historic event, secondly, a supernatural event, thirdly, a God-forsaken event, and fourthly, we're going to see that because of all those things, the death of Jesus is a life-giving, life-changing event even for us today. But the first thing we notice is that the death of Jesus is an historic event. Now, this is a really simple thing, but it's important for us. Matthew presents this story as an account of real historical events. And you can see that because Matthew gives us details. He gives us specifics. He, he names people. Just before the pit that we read, he names Barabbas, the prisoner who's exchanged for Jesus. He names Simon from Cyrene, the man who carried the cross. He names Joseph from Arimathea, who laid Jesus' body in a tomb. Matthew gives us details. And the thing with details is that they can be checked. If you're making up a story, you don't... And if you're exaggerating a story, you don't include details. You certainly don't include details that can be checked. You, you be vague. That's why every single story that you've ever heard told in a pub begins with the words, this one time. You notice it's always vague. This one time I beat Darren Lockyer in an arm wrestle. This one time I rode a dolphin. It's always vague. You'll never hear a guy in the pub telling you, like last Sunday afternoon at 3pm I was out at Granite's and I rode a dolphin and Jono saw it. It's too easy to disprove. You go talk to Jono. Did that really happen? No, he's an idiot. Matthew is not vague. He gives us details. He invites the fact checkers in. And anyone alive at the time could have checked these details to know whether Matthew's story checks out. Some of these details we can even still verify today. We can know from Jewish historians that the high priest at the time was Caiaphas, just as Matthew says. We can know from, uh, from Roman records that Pontius Pilate was a governor in Judea. 
There's a Roman historian, Tacitus, who even notes that it was Pontius Pilate who condemned Jesus to death. Matthew wants you to interrogate the story. He invites you because he wants you to know that Jesus was a real man and that at a real time, a Friday around Passover in 33 AD, in a real place, a hill outside outside the city of Jerusalem, Jesus really died. This is a real, historically verifiable event. And that's important because Matthew goes on to tell us about some things that seem completely unreal. The crucifixion of Jesus is also a supernatural event. Do you see what he tells us in verse 45? He says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. That's supernatural. It can't be explained with natural causes. Now, people try. Some people kind of say, oh, maybe it was a total solar eclipse. It it can't be. You can't have an eclipse when there's a full moon. And even if you could, an eclipse doesn't give you darkness for three hours. It gives you darkness for a few minutes. But that's irrelevant because... Even if you could explain the darkness with natural causes, well, you're going to get into trouble when you try and explain the next thing. Because natural causes certainly can't explain how an 18-metre high curtain in the temple, in verse 51, tore from the top. Natural causes can't explain that. Natural causes can explain the earthquake that we see in verse 51. Palestine does experience seismic activity. And while it's quite plausible that an earthquake that shook the ground would split open the rocks and the tombs that were carved out of those rocks, that's plausible. But you're going to have a very, very difficult time trying to explain how that earthquake also shook the bodies of dead people back to life. You see, as much as Jesus' crucifixion is a real historical event, as much as this is a human story which can be explained by human politics and human emotions. At the same time, Matthew wants us to know that the death of Jesus is a supernatural event. This is an act of God. And specifically, it's an act of God's judgment. This is a God-forsaken event. And we know that because of the darkness. Anywhere you look in the Bible, darkness is, is used to signify spiritual darkness. Darkness is everything that God is not. Darkness is where sin reigns. Those who oppose God live in the darkness. Darkness is living in the absence of God. There are so many examples of this in the Bible, it was hard to know where to go, but you go to the very first page of the Bible, it's no accident that the very first thing that God creates in Genesis 1 is light. Let there be light. Now, it drives people like me, who are engineers, crazy, because we look at it and go, well, how does he create the light if he hasn't created the sun or the stars that create the light, that that generate the light? That misses the point. The point of Genesis 1 is that God is 
projecting himself into the creation that he has made. He's making a world in which his light overpowers the chaotic darkness. It's why at the very end of the Bible, in Revelation 22, we read of a new creation where there is no night. There is no darkness because there is no sin. Everywhere you look in the Bible, darkness is symbolic of sin. Sinful deeds are called deeds of darkness. Disobedience is called walking in darkness. Ignoring God is called living in darkness. Those who face God's judgment, are condemned to darkness. And so when Jesus hangs on the cross and darkness falls over the land, it didn't just get cloudy. It's not an eclipse. No, we're to see that not only that sin is reigning, that the darkness has overcome the light, but we're also to see that God is unleashing his wrath upon sin. Darkness is God's judgment. The day of judgment that's been prophesied in the Old Testament book of Amos has come. In Amos chapter 8 verse 9 it reads, In that day, declares the Sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. Darkness is God's judgment on sin. God is bringing about judgment here. But what's astounding, what makes this event so significant, is who it is that bears this judgment. Because you and I read this story and we would assume that in this situation, God's wrath is going to be poured out on maybe Judas, who betrayed Jesus, or Pontius Pilate, who condemned him to death unfairly. Maybe the Jewish leaders who conspired against him, the crowds who mocked him, the soldiers who actually did the deed. They're all responsible, right? They are the murderers. Surely God is going to judge them. But the thing Matthew wants us to see is that in the darkness of God's judgment, as that darkness descends on the land, It is Jesus who cries out in the loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Son of God, the one who had enjoyed living with, in perfect fellowship with the Father for all eternity now experiences God-forsakenness. He experiences the darkness of human sin. He's been betrayed by Judas. He's handed over to sinners. He's unfairly tried, falsely accused. He's abandoned by his friends. He's mocked by the soldiers and religious leaders. He's flogged and tortured. He's publicly shamed. He's now in the midst of the agony of crucifixion. But do you see what it is that brings Jesus the most pain? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
at the cross, Jesus experiences the agony of his father's judgment upon sin. He's feeling what it's like to be cut off from God, to be separated from the one source of life and love. Jesus experienced God's wrath. But the thing that is most remarkable of all is that he did that so that you wouldn't have to. The only person who never deserved to die, dies. The only person who never deserved to face God's wrath, faces it. And the only person who deserves fellowship with the Father, he gives it away. And he does it for you. He experiences utter darkness, God-forsakenness, so that we don't have to. And it's that, friends, that makes the cross a life-giving, life-changing event. Because while this event is, is the darkest day in human history, the light still shines through the darkness. Because as Jesus dies, Matthew shows us how his death brings life. He shows it to us in two ways. First of all, there's the curtain in the temple that's torn in two. The curtain that separated the holy of holies from humanity. The curtain that enclosed the place where only one man, the high priest, could go on only one day, the day of atonement, and stand before God's presence. The curtain that was a dividing barrier between God and us. The curtain that declared, because of your sin, you can't live with God. That curtain is torn. The way to God is opened for us. The light breaks through. But secondly, Matthew wants us to show that That earthquake that split the rocks open, that fractured the tombs and how holy people who had died were raised to life because that's a foretaste of what will happen to us. Do you see that? At the moment of Jesus' death, dead people get up. Jesus brings about life for those who trust him. These people who died trusting God, awaiting a saviour, are raised again to life. They get new resurrection bodies. Because Jesus has taken their punishment for their sins, death, they're set free from death. Friends, the death of Jesus is a real historical event. It's a supernatural event. A God-forsaken event event but it is a life-giving life-changing event Matthew wants you to know that as you witness the cross as you look upon the death of Jesus you are witnessing an event of the greatest significance but the question is how will you respond to it You see, just like September 11, people responded to Jesus' death in all sorts of different ways. The disciples fled in fear, the soldiers mocked, the crowds hurled their insults, the religious leaders scoffed, the criminals heaped their abuse. 
but how will you respond? Because Matthew actually shows us the right response in his account. Because of all the people watching on, there is one person in the crowd who appreciates the significance of this event. The religious people don't get it, the priests don't get it, the Jews don't get it. But this Roman soldier, this centurion, this battle-hardened man who supervised the execution. This man who would have witnessed hundreds of people dying, some of them by his own sword. This man, seeing the darkness, feeling the ground shake, seeing the way that Jesus died, is cut to the heart, is terrified, and declares surely he was the Son of God. You see, he gets it. He recognises this isn't just the death of a man. It's not just the death of an innocent man. This isn't just an example for us. This is the death of the Son of God. And that makes all the difference in the world. It's because the sinless Son of God died that your sinful soul can be counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. You see, this isn't an accident. This isn't a tragedy. This is the deliberate plan of a loving God. Jesus died for you. He entered darkness so that you can live in His light. He took the punishment, you get the reward. And when you see it, when you understand what Jesus did for you on the cross, when you recognize that the Son of God, the only one qualified to stand in place for sinful people, when He died for us, It takes the death of Jesus and and it stops it from being just an interesting event or an important event to the event that will change your life. Friends, has this event changed your life? If it has, rejoice. Rejoice. Today is the most significant event in the calendar. Today is the day where we celebrate life because Jesus died in our place. But friends, if it hasn't, if you're someone who is here today and you, you've seen this event, maybe you find it interesting, maybe you think it's a nice example of brotherly love, maybe, maybe you just aren't interested in, in it at all, can I invite you to look again? This is an event of the greatest significance it can change your life will you let it let me pray father god we praise you we are awestruck that jesus your perfect son the one who deserved to stay in heaven, to live in right relationship with you, the one that deserved to continue in your presence and in your love, in perfect fellowship with you, 
We are awestruck that he was willing to give that away so that we might have it. We are stunned that he would die, that he would suffer the most brutal of death, that he would endure rejection by his own people, abuse by those he came to save, that he would be tortured and suffer and die for sinners is beyond words. But Lord, today we thank you that he did. We thank you that he was glad to die for us. We thank you that at the cross he dealt with our sin, that he took your judgment, your wrath on our sin upon himself so that we can be forgiven and enjoy living with you in your light, in your presence, in your love forever. Lord, change us with this news, we pray, for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.